Welcome to Activating the Gift of Healing in Your Life podcast with your host, Wally Cook of Amazing Love Missions. I want to welcome you guys to this series of podcasts. It's going to be about five of these. And the subject of this is activating the gift of healing in your life. Um, before we start and get too far into this, I want to make something really clear. Uh, the purpose of this isn't to point out to you another area of your life where you're failing God, because it just doesn't work that way. It's best understood if you would imagine the Holy Spirit standing beside you, Holy Spirit being a person, and he's got his arm around his shoulder, he's got a big grin on his face, and he's looking at you with love in his eyes, and he says, I want to heal that person over there, but I'd rather do it with you, so let's do this together, and I'm just it's going to be an adventure, a healing adventure in your life, and you're going to enjoy this, so let's do it. And it only works that way. Uh, you can't guilt trip people into flowing in the supernatural with God. It's just something that we walk through with him out of our relationship with him. And you just can't get there with a guilt trip. So I'm going to make that really clear before we get going. All right. So why study this? Why talk about activating the gift of healing in our lives? Because one of the things I've been hearing from God for a while is that in the days to come, you're going to need more faith, he told me. And then this COVID-19 thing hit, and I thought maybe that was it. But it wasn't like a cataclysmic thing was going to come that I was going to need more faith for, or we were going to need more faith for. But the example I got from the Holy Spirit was, so like Peter one night, about midnight, is out in a boat in the middle of a lake, him and the other 11 guys just minding their own business. And all of a sudden they all looked up and he realized that somebody is coming towards them, walking on the water. Now there's 12 guys in that boat, but one person in that boat realized it was Jesus. And so Peter had the idea because I know Jesus, can I do that? And he asked him, Jesus, can I do that? And basically Jesus said, come on. So Peter not only had to have the idea, he had to act on it. He steps out of the boat and he's walking on water, just like Jesus. Now, we don't know how long he did it, and obviously he didn't do it very well, but somewhere shortly after that, uh, the revelation hit him that I'm human, I shouldn't be able to do this, and he starts to sink, cries out to Jesus, Jesus reached down, grabs him, and everything's cool. Um, Peter, at that moment, needed more faith, because he saw Jesus doing something amazing, and something inside him said, because I know you, can I do that? And I really think that's what the Lord's trying to tell us, that in the days to come, we're going to see Jesus and his church doing some amazing things, and we're also going to have that idea, because I know Jesus, can I do that? And the answer is yes. Um, because we are in the beginning days of what I believe to be the greatest revival the world's ever seen, the church has ever seen, that sometime in the next five to ten years, and it's just kind of my own time frame on that. I could be wrong on that, but I hope I'm not because I'm almost 70 years old and I want to be around and see this happen. But we're going to, Jesus and his church are going to be famous in the secular world in the United States for healing miracles to the degree that you'll turn on ABC, CNN, all the news shows. 
and they'll actually be doing reports on miracles, and they won't be making fun of them. And I believe that in those days also that some of the most viral YouTube videos will be people getting healed. Now, why do I believe this? Because my background is charismatic Pentecostal full gospel. Uh, and if you're part of that persuasion, then we all trace our roots back to the Azusa Street Revival, 1906-1912. William Seymour, the one-eyed black pastor of that revival, somewhere around 1910, prophesied that in, in about 100 years, the greatest revival the world's ever seen is going to begin. And another man from that revival, I believe it's Frank Bartleman, but could be wrong, prophesied the same thing a few years later. And then somewhere around 1965, William Brenham, uh, evangelist from the healing revival of the 40s and 50s, was talking to a friend, was telling him that the Lord had shown him he was uh, about to die, but that here's what was coming after that. And he said the era of the one man, one woman evangelistic crusade ministry was kind of coming to an end. And, and in those days, they believed, and I believe they believed erroneously, that only one person, one special person could pray for the sick and they'd be healed. So these men and women would travel with an entourage, but only one person prayed for the sick, and that was the person at the head of the ministry. So and some of these guys carried tents that seated five, six, seven thousand people. So if you were a sick person, you came to their meetings, you filled out a card, they put the cards in a bucket, and if they drew your card, you got prayed for. If they didn't, you had to keep coming back till you did. Um, and that era has come to an end, but that would be followed by an era where the church discovered who she was in Christ and who Christ was in her. And he said that era would come to an end, and when at the end of that, then the greatest revival the world has ever seen would begin. So I think we're almost to those days. Prophetically, I believe that this greatest revival the world has ever seen is coming. There's also logical reasons to believe that. Over probably the last 15 years, supernatural ministry schools have proliferated all over the U.S. Um, Bethel has one has several actually, and Randy Clark, Todd White, George and Banov, and other people have started these schools, supernatural ministry schools that focus on equipping people in the area of the supernatural and their relationship with God um, to pray for the sick and see them be healed, to minister to people prophetically and see amazing things happen. Uh, we started a school in El Salvador about eight years ago called uh, Earthquake School of Supernatural Ministry. We started hosting teams from Bethel just shortly before that, and a team from Bethel left, and we all kind of looked at each other and go, can we do that? And we're still trying to come up with the answer, can we do that? But we hope it's working pretty well. Anyway, these schools are turning out thousands of people every year. I think Bethel alone has somewhere between two and 3,000 students. And if healing was this fringe belief of the church that only a few people believed in, they never could replicate in real life, then it's, nothing's going to happen. But if healing is real and it works and you're turning out thousands of people every year that believe they can do it and are willing to take risks and let Jesus do things through them, then at some point in time, there's a tipping point to it and crazy stuff starts to happen. And when that happens, 
the world's going to come to the church and say, can you do that? And then the people inside the church are going to come to leadership and say, can we do that? And the answer to both those questions is yes. Jesus said in Mark 16, these signs will follow those who believe. And one of those signs being that we'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So because of that, I believe that part of the basic package that every person receives when they get born again is the ability to heal the sick. But if that's part of everybody's basic package, obviously the issue that immediately comes up is, why doesn't it really look like that then? One of the reasons would seem to be that this gift doesn't come fully assembled. Now, Paul said at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12, Brethren, I would not have you ignorant of the spiritual gifts, meaning that it's possible to have them and not understand or not even know that you have them. Solution to that is to teach you something about it. So over the last couple thousand years, we've lost um, the ability to use that gift. In the first century, the church used it in a really amazing way and grew exponentially because of it. The good news is that gift is being restored to the church. Now, why is that important? And here's a scripture from Matthew where it says that, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in her synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them all. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from the Capitalists, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So Jesus did two things. He preached from the scripture about the kingdom, but he also healed the sick. And when he did that, his fame spread, which caused more people to be brought to him to be healed, and which also turned into a tipping point. And because of that, multitudes followed him. And that's what I see happening in the United States in, in the years to come. The early church didn't have explosive growth because Jesus and his disciples had a better teaching on how to have a good family or how to manage your finances, as good as those things are. They saw explosive growth because of the supernatural, because they preached the good news of the kingdom and they healed the sick and demonstrated the reality of that kingdom. So the church is doing one of those things that Jesus and disciples did and we're about to add to it the second part. It's gonna, we're going to get back to the idea that we preach the good news of the kingdom and we also heal the sick. Don't want to be controversial, but I want to say this. Jesus spent more time healing the sick than he did feeding the poor. Now, I'm a missionary. We live in El Salvador. And normally, we feed probably a couple hundred people for at least a week out of each month. And then this COVID thing hit, and over the last four months, I think we fed... 2,750 families, something like that. Um, God just did some amazing stuff there. But you know what? That's not job one. When Paul and Barnabas came to Jerusalem to visit the apostles, to share their vision for taking the gospel to Gentiles, they heard what they had to say and said, sounds good to us. Now, while you're at it, would you please do something for the poor? So we're meant to do that. We should do something for the poor but we shouldn't forget what job one is. Jesus sent out the 12, later on 72, and here's what he told them. He said, go preach the good news of the kingdom and do supernatural humanitarian stuff. Why don't we do that today? We, we've lost the ability to do it over the centuries. 
But the good thing, again, is God's restoring that. And, and the church is much stronger than we think. Now, we think of the gifts of the Spirit, and we think that if, if God gave me a gift, then he gave it to me fully, fully formed. So if I've got the gift of healing, I'm going to go pray with three or four people. If it doesn't happen, that means I don't have the gift. But it doesn't really mean that. It just means that we don't know how to use that. But that's fixable. We just learn and begin to put it into practice. And there's kind of a period of uh, trial and error stuff there where you're taking what you learn from the Scripture, putting it into practice in your life, praying for people and seeing how it works. Um. It's kind of like Ikea furniture. I think I hope I said that word right. But you take it out of the box. You read the directions. You follow the directions. Again, and as we're putting stuff together out of the box from this furniture, there's some trial and error where you, does this fit here? Does that fit there? Finally, we get that piece of furniture, but it doesn't come quickly and it doesn't come easily. And healing's kind of the same way. We have to be taught how it works. We got to put that into practice. Again, there's some trial and error in this process. There's some on-the-job training, but then we see it work. And our experience in this, and we've been messing with this now for about seven or eight years and seeing some good results, is that the faith for healing seems to come mainly from experience. And I mean that, I know that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. But there's a season in the beginning when you're praying for the sick and you're kind of like, I hope this works. And then there's a season after you've seen 50 people healed that you're beginning to think this should work. And then you've seen 100 people healed and you're like, this ought to work. And, and there's a, a different thought process that comes from praying for people and over and over again, seeing it work. And hey, it doesn't work every time. Uh, sometimes it maybe works half the time, sometimes less than that, sometimes more than that. But it works. And what we want to do in these podcasts is give you the teaching part, then it'll be up to you guys to put it into practice. There's practical ways to do that. I would encourage you to sign up for altar ministry or church. I would put in a plug for a mission trip, because um, that's the kind of mission trips we do in El Salvador, is that people come in on mission trip teams, we teach them how to heal the sick, uh, we take them out, let them do it, they pray for 30, 40 people while they're there. And they'll see a number of those get healed. They also do some humanitarian stuff, interacting with people, blessing people, loving on them. We have a lady with uh, a home for unwanted kids, and we go love bomb those kids and sugar bomb them, and and leave leave them for her to deal with when we get through. Um, but anyway, uh, also the other option would be I'd encourage you to ask God, Lord, is there anybody around me that you want to touch? If you'll point them out. I'll go pray for him. If you don't, until you tell me something, I won't do anything. And that works really well too. And I want to end every podcast with a testimony. Let me share one with you. Uh, it's been about four or five years ago. This young man entered one of our ministry schools. He finished school probably middle of June. Somewhere around August, he began to have headaches. End of September, he went to get an MRI. And they said, you've got a rapidly growing brain tumor and probably going to kill you. He was given a series of, or access to a series of treatments in Guatemala from a Canadian group of doctors, but that was scheduled for in November. And then in October, late October, 
He began to lose the use of his left side, couldn't move his left arm or left hand. He could walk, but he had to walk with a cane in his right hand, and he drugged his left foot like the dude in The Mummy. And so this time, we'd been traveling. My wife and I went to Ireland, Scotland. Never been there before. What an awesome place. And then I had to come to the States and visit churches for a few weeks. So when I got back, it was probably about the 1st of November. The Lord told me to go pray for him. Um, and I'd been gone for five weeks, and it took me a couple of days to catch up. And when I was behind him, I drove to see him. He lived about three hours away from me. So when he get there, he meets me at the door. He's, again, walking with a cane, dragging his left foot, and can't use his left hand. And so prayed a short prayer because we pray short minutes. We couldn't find any long ones in the Bible. And after prayer, I asked him, do you notice any difference? And he said, nope. But he started smiling, which really kind of threw me off because like, wait a minute, nothing changed. Why are you smiling now? And he wasn't smiling a while ago. And he told me months later he'd been depressed. And if I was a young man being given a death sentence, I'd be depressed too. And But after the first prayer, his um, depression went away. So what we've learned to do is that when you pray the first prayer and nothing really happens, it's a really good idea to pray second prayer. So we prayed again, and after the, another short prayer, after the second prayer, he had a little bit of feel in his left foot. He said, it, it feels like my socks all wadded up my shoe. I didn't notice that before. And he could pick his left foot up. Couldn't walk very good, though. So again, when you're not there yet, you just keep on praying until you get somewhere. So we prayed the third prayer, another short one. And the cool thing about praying short prayers, this all took maybe more, no more than seven minutes total. And so after the third prayer, he could walk fairly normally, had, had to use his left arm back. And he sent me a picture on Facebook later on that day of him balanced on his previously paralyzed left foot with a big grin on his face. And he's just really happy because Jesus healed him. And he's an awesome young man and God's doing some cool stuff with him in El Salvador. So... I um, hope you tune back in for the rest of these podcasts. If you want to know more about our ministry, we're on the web at amazinglovemissions.com. Be looking for you in the next one.